Good morning. It is my pleasure to be here with you today. I am going to give a quick little disclaimer because I know myself too well. I am in a season. Here they come. I'm in a season of life where the tears tend to come frequently and flow freely. But I always like to say that it's not just tears of sadness. When you hear my story, I want you to know that it's tears of gratitude, and I call them my tears of love. So with that, I'll try to get through this. Okay, faith, hope, and love are the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Because God is love, and without his love for us, there would be no faith, and there would be no hope. We are created in his image and likeness, and therefore, we too are created for love. In scripture, when Jesus is asked, which commandment is in the law is the greatest? He replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord this Advent season, we must ask ourselves, is our love rightly ordered? Do we put God first daily, and do we choose the good of others over ourselves? I don't know about you, but this is really difficult for me. Our human nature is to be selfish. It's the natural desire of our hearts to love and to be loved. Unfortunately, the evil one and the world do all they can to tell us that they can satisfy this desire, whether it be through possessions, status, success in athletics or a career, physical pleasures, food, alcohol, marijuana, pornography. The evil one will try to tempt us that these things will make us feel better and we often fall for it. The small amount of pleasure that you might feel is only temporary. It can't have a lasting impact on our lives or on our heart, and they often leave us feeling even more empty afterwards. I, too, have fallen for these worldly pleasures in my desire for love. I want to share with you an analogy. The first time I heard this, I remember thinking that if I had heard this when I was in high school, how different my life and choices might have been. So let's say tomorrow when you wake up, you offer your first few moments to God, and you end your prayer with, Lord, please be with me throughout my day. Help guide me and love me and show me the way. And poof, Jesus appears. He is right there with you. No one else can see him. He tells you, you he is there to give you strength, to love on you, and to guide you throughout your day just as you had asked. How different would your day look if Jesus was next to you? When you go to the kitchen for breakfast and your siblings are in there being hyper and happy and you're just tired and wishing you could go back to bed, do you tell them to knock it off and be quiet? Or would you smile at them and tell them to have a good day? When you run into your mom in the hallway and she asks you to bring up your laundry and, and how is the studying for the test going, would you ignore her and mumble? Or would you do as she asked and tell her you studied but are still a little nervous? How would you spend your drive to school? What kind of music would you listen to? Would you talk to Jesus about the things that you're concerned about and also the good things happening in your life? Would you pray with him for your family and your friends? And when you got to Pius and you saw a kid in the hallway by themselves, would you ignore them and keep walking with Jesus by your side? Or would you smile at them and say hello? During lunch, would you introduce your friends to Jesus? Would you share what he had shared with you and what you had learned from your time together? Or would you gossip about others and complain about the teachers? 
Then later that day, when your friends started talking about the weekend plans, would you want to invite Jesus to that party you were planning to go to, hoping to run into that guy that you liked? The party where you knew you were going to be tempted to do things that are sinful. Even if you had the strength with Jesus by your side to not fall into those temptations and drink or do drugs, would you want him to witness your friends doing that? And then, with their minds inhibited by substances, make additional bad choices and sin only to regret what they had said and did the next day? Or would you have the courage and strength to make alternative plans and invite everybody over to your house, maybe watch a football game, play spike ball? When you hang out with your boyfriend in your basement, would you be comfortable with Jesus sitting next to you, maybe holding hands and even a kiss, but would having Jesus there help give you the strength to stop and not give in to temptations? You see, Jesus is with you whether you see him or not. He is not there to judge you, but to be your strength, to be a reminder that his love and his mercy is all that you need. And when you do fall into temptations, because you will, he is there to help pick you up and get you right back on path. Jesus wants that kind of personal relationship with you, one where you talk with him about and about him throughout your day, and one where you can go to him in prayer for advice when you are faced with temptations or difficult decisions. Just ask yourself, what would I do if Jesus was here? When I look back and think about my teenage years, I realized I was blessed with an amazing core group of friends who, as Becca said, definitely brought my average up. But I think if I would have pictured Jesus next to me and spent more time in prayer with him, he would have helped me to see that my relationship with my boyfriend was not healthy, he did not love me the way God intended me to be loved, and he put his own needs and wants above my own. He was not the person that I would have chosen to be the father of my children, and he was not going to help me become a saint. I wouldn't have felt so lonely. If I had pictured Jesus next to me. And I probably would not have gotten pregnant at 18. I wouldn't have been overwhelmed with shame and guilt for so long after. If I had pictured Jesus loving me and being with me, I wouldn't have felt unworthy and unlovable. Jesus loves you so much. He wants nothing more than for you to invite him in and into everything. Not just Mass on Sunday. He wants to be invited into the parts of your heart that are messy and wounded and even full of sin. It's the areas of our heart that we try to hide from him, that we are where we truly actually need him the most. He's the one encouraging you, telling you, you better go to confession on Saturday night. I want you to receive me full form in the Holy Eucharist on Sunday so I can give you the graces you need to fight the daily struggles and temptations of life. Jesus loves us so much that he knew, even after he left and was ascended back into heaven, that we would need him in the physical form, and that is why he instituted the Holy Eucharist, so that we might be able to give, he might be able to give us that spiritual nourishment that we need to get throughout our days. If we truly believe that, then why would we not take advantage of that and go to confession and mass and receive the Holy Communion of Jesus as often as possible? 
Sometimes it takes us hitting rock bottom before we are able to fully surrender ourselves to God and turn our life over to him. And that definitely has been part of my love story with God. And I'm going to share a little bit about that with you today. When I finally let go and let God, that is when he brought me Matt. I was not looking to date or get married. My focus was simply on my daughter. But in God's love and wisdom, he knew I needed Matt. He, we met through mutual friends and from afar. And from afar, I remember thinking that this guy is the real deal. He was kind and fun to hang out with. And I never heard him say a bad thing about another person. He was always a gentleman, opening the doors for women and offering them their seat, his seat. And he was Catholic too, so that was a nice bonus. My friend told me that she thought he was interested in me, and I was honestly shocked. Why would a guy like him want a girl like me? But he eventually did ask me out, and I said yes. We have lots of similar interests. We both love playing and watching sports and going to concerts. And our family and faith were both very important parts of our lives. Now, if Matt was here, he would tell you this is where I fell madly and deeply in love with him, and the rest was history. And that would pretty much be right. He loved me for me. Matt loved me unconditionally. I didn't have to do anything or be anything to earn his love. And the love he showed me helped to heal the wounds that I had from my previous relationship. And what is even more beautiful is he didn't just love me well, he chose to love my daughter well too. After a few years of dating, Matt asked both Alexis and I to marry him. Yes, she too got a diamond ring. My grandma often referred to him as our Saint Joseph, and he truly was. I was blessed to be married with, to my best friend, and together, okay, I have to do a little bit Okay, the three cute little kids, father, Mrs. Johnson Brass from Cathedral, and father. <laughs> so that's the little extra on the slideshow there, so you all can see them back in the day. Um, I was blessed to be married to my best friend, and together we made a good team. We had three more children and loved spending time together with our family. Our marriage wasn't perfect, but together with God's help, we were always able to get our relationship back on track. Shortly after giving birth to Gianna, we suffered a miscarriage. It was a very difficult and painful experience. I knew that our child was in a better place and she would not have to experience any suffering or the sin of this world, but there was still this aching pain that I can't even describe. There was an emotional pain, but the day after giving birth to Mary Gabriel and when we had the opportunity to hold her in our hands, the next day, I felt a physical pain like I cannot explain. Matt, not knowing honestly probably what to do with me, suggested that we go to church. So we went to St. Peter's and we sat in our pew in the front. And while we sat there, I said to God, I know she's in a better place in heaven, but why am I hurting so much? Why is it so painful? And what he said to me was this, you are a good parent. And like a good mother, you are physically yearning to hold your child in your arms. And that is exactly how much I love you. I physically yearn to one day be fully reunited with you and hold you in my arms in heaven. In that moment, there was an extraordinary amount of peace that came over me. 
And for me, it was as if the veil between heaven and earth was thinned, and now I had this tangible, physical desire to be reunited with my God and my child in heaven. When I shared this with Matt, we both cried. It was probably one of the most impactful moments in our marriage and in our spiritual journey as a couple. We grew more and closer in those three days than we had the five years prior. Because God now became the number one priority again and was even on a much higher level. The spiritual and now physical connection that we had to him in heaven was so strong. It was tangible. And looking back, I can see now that God in his love was using this experience to strengthen our faith and our love for one another to help prepare us for what was to come. Four years later, Matt was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. Our youngest daughter, Gianna, was only four years old. It was very shocking because he had always been happy and had simply had a backache that was bothering him every few weeks. The day we were told he had cancer, we were also told it was incurable and he was given six months, maybe a year if we were lucky. The cancer had already spread to multiple organs and was in his bones. I remember the night of his diagnosis as we both laid in bed crying, unable to sleep. Matt said to me, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. God is right here with us and he is gonna take care of us. And I don't know why this is happening, but we're gonna use it for something good. If it can bring one person closer to Christ, that it will have been worth it. In the beginning, we were making posts on Caring Bridge to update our family and friends about Matt's health journey. It felt like we were constantly having to share bad news after bad news. I remember one night Matt saying, I don't want to just tell them about the bad things happening. I want to tell them about all the good things. And then he started reflecting and talking about all the blessings he had received just that day. It was beautiful, and he was right. We had so much to be thankful for. God, his people, and his church were surrounding us with their loves and love and prayers. There were people all over the country praying for him, sending him texts and cards. Others were bringing us meals, running kids to activities, doing yard work and laundry. The rosaries and masses said to him and our family, the list goes on and on. God was using these people to make sure that we knew that we were not alone and to feel Christ's love for us. It completely changed the way we looked at our days, and it was amazing the daily signs of God's love that began to be made visible to us. God was with us. He had not abandoned us in our time of need. As we started to share with people our gratitude list, they would often say, you are so lucky that God loves you so much that he's showing you these amazing signs. But as I reflected, I realized that these moments and blessings were there. I had just not been looking for them. Whereas now, I was spending time daily with Matt, praying and reflecting on our day, and in doing so, it was much easier to see God at work in our lives. We were active in our faith lives and looking for God and his signs every day. Matt taught me how to do this and how to have a grateful heart, regardless of your circumstances. During this time, of course, we wanted and prayed for Matt's physical healing, but I also knew that our main priority needed to be his spiritual healing. I wanted to be sure that no matter what, when God 
decided to call Matt home, whether it be in six months or six years, that he would be ready. We tried to invite God into everything we were doing. We prayed more throughout our day. We went to daily mass, spent time in adoration and in scripture. Matt also went to confession regularly. Matt learned how to suffer well. He united his suffering with that of the cross and offering it up for intentions of others. Being able to suffer and offer it up for others helped him to give purpose to his pain. Matt and I also came up with our own little prayer of surrender. Whenever we were given more bad news or told we were going to have to get another test or surgery done, we would simply pray, we just have to take this one day at a time, one moment at a time, Jesus, I trust in you. That simple prayer brought us great comfort and peace. Matt courageously fought for two years, but eventually the doctors told us that the treatments were not working and they suggested hospice. We prayed for the intercession of St. Joseph, the patron saint of a happy and holy death. On Friday, I called my boys home from Pius. Matt's pain was increasing and we were gonna have to increase his medication to make him comfortable. I didn't know how long he'd be coherent and I wanted them to be able to stick it Matt was very weak and only spoke a few moments, few words at this point. Then on Sunday, Father Holdren, our dear friend, came over. Matt was lying in his hospital bed in our living room resting. Father anointed him, prayed over him, and then we had Mass as a family at his bedside. After receiving Holy Communion, Matt surprised us all and said, Father, I have some things I want to say. He then miraculously spoke words from his heart that our family will forever cherish. One thing that he shared with us was that he wished that he would have made his faith a bigger priority when he was in high school and the college years. He said that when the time came for him to make his faith his own, he didn't initially take the time and the steps to do it, and he really wished he would have, as it was time wasted. Matt then said, so I hope my kids down the line realize the importance of what our faith is and what it should be. It can be corrected at any time, that's not what it's about. But you have to choose it and make it a priority. I don't know how you get through the stuff that we've been through the last few years without having some kind of belief in God and some kind of belief in heaven. I don't know how you can survive without having faith to help get you through. Stacy's always telling me I'm going to a better place the best is yet to come for me. That's what we have to believe. We were all in tears and in shock. How did he do this? How was my quiet and very private husband able to share in a room full of people so much, given how confused, sick, and weak he had been for days? It was an amazing gift for God and a complete miracle. After receiving the spiritual and physical nourishment grace and strength through the anointing of the sick and the Holy Eucharist that day, Matt was able to share his love for us, his love for God, and his desire for us to continue to grow in our faith one last time. This would be the last time Matt spoke to us. On Wednesday, Matt was declining even further. My brother, Father Andrew, came home early from Pius that afternoon to give him another anointing, the last rites, and the Viaticum, 
which is the final Holy Communion. We prayed next to him throughout the day, but that night, Father Bedient came over and asked if he could pray with us the Divine Mercy Chapel. At Matt's bedside, Gianna had just gotten home from playing at our neighbors, so we were all able to join him and pray together as a family. Gianna then kissed her daddy goodbye. She tucked him in with her loving, and I put her to bed. About 30 minutes later, after she fell asleep, Matt took his final breath. Matt's only regret at the end of his life was not making the most of his relationship with Jesus in his high school and college years. At 50 years old, that is what he thought about on his deathbed. He knew if he had, he would have not, he would not have been, he knew if he had, he would not have hurt others and himself with his sins. Matt also felt like it was time wasted that he could have been spent with Jesus. After getting a first-hand experience of an intimate relationship with God, he desired more of it. In the end, that is all that mattered. His faith in God, his hope for heaven, and his love for God and his family. When I was your age, I would look up at that crucifix. And all I would feel was shame and guilt for my sins that I had committed that required Jesus to die for me. But then I became a parent, and I finally saw it for what it was. It is the greatest love story of all mankind. God loves you so much that he sacrificed his own son so that you might have the opportunity for eternal life. As a parent, I can tell you that there would be no greater sacrifice. I would rather be put to death ten times over like that than to have to witness my son go through that. So don't waste this opportunity. Getting to heaven won't just happen on its own. You have to choose it. We have to choose to allow God into the darkest places of our heart so he can heal us. We have to choose to love him and allow him to help carry our crosses. And we have to choose to let him use us to help others encounter Christ when they encounter us. So are you ready? If I told you you were going to die, would you be ready? If not, it's okay, because that's what Advent is all about. That is the beautiful gift that God and our church gives us this season. They want to make sure that our lives and our love is rightly ordered. And if not, then let's fix it. Now, don't put it off another day. If you were put on hospice like Matt was, and you were told December 25th was the day that the Lord was coming, what would you do? You now have two weeks left of Advent, so what are you going to do each day to prepare for your final judgment? Is there anyone in your life that you need to ask forgiveness from? Then do it. Maybe you need to forgive yourself, as I did. Is there anyone in your life that you need to offer forgiveness? Then do it. Who is it that you would want to spend these final days with? Tell them you love them before you die on the 25th. Would you think, yeah, that's a nice thing to do, but I'm really busy and that might seem a little weird? No, you wouldn't. What would your last confession look like before you died? Would you bring some things to the Lord that you've been holding on to? 
Are there some areas of your heart that you would give God access to if you hadn't in the past? Maybe you would take time to make a general confession like Matt did. This is when you sit down with the priest and you reflect back over your entire life and you confess any sins that is still on your mind and still in your heart. Matt had an amazing experience with this and found it very healing, so I would recommend it to you all. And what about your prayer and relationship with God? Is Jesus one of those five closest people that Becca talked about, helping to elevate your average? Is prayer still optional, or is it now something you have to do throughout your day? Because in two weeks, you're going to be standing in front of God. And you want to make sure that he knows who you are, and you know who he is. And you're able to recognize his voice on that day. So spend this time getting to know him better. Stop by the chapel and visit him. You are so blessed to have him physically present in the building with you. You may never have this opportunity again in your life. It might be as simple, I know you're busy, so it might be as simple as when you're walking down the hallway, bowing your head in reverence to him when you walk past the chapel and simply saying a three-word prayer like, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I need you. I love you. Jesus, I trust in you. And spend time in gratitude. Being thankful for all that God has given you is a great way to get ready to die. You see, if, the, I, if you do these things, I promise you that when the time comes and God calls you home, whether it be tomorrow or 60 years from now, you will have nothing to be afraid of. You will be filled with the same faith, hope, and love that Matt was, and you will actually be looking forward to it because you will know the best is yet to come. God bless you all.